Good morning once again, everybody. Happy Sabbath. Just move this for one second. Was that amazing? Uh, music not amazing? It's such a, a good blessing to enjoy good music. Um, so welcome to our, our service. Um, I'm going to speak about something that I only recently rediscovered. If we can have my slides up there, please. Um, I've many, many years ago studied um, Barnabas and kind of forgot about him. And this, probably two or three weeks ago, um, the, the, the school, TVAC, asked me to come do a chapel and they're doing something on unsung heroes. And uh, all the good ones were taken as usual. And then I was like, oh, I've got to rack my brain trying to think of you know, who I should preach about. And I remembered, oh, I, I studied Barnabas a few years ago. I think I'll do Barnabas. Nobody's probably going to choose Barnabas. So I chose Barnabas, and I was studying and reading. And as I studied and read, I was like, man, this guy was a gun. Um, and so I'd love to share with you what I got there, because I, I learned something new there that just blew me away. So we're going to speak about um, this topic of borrowing from Barnabas. And I just want to give a shout out to my wife who designed this. It's a beautiful analogy. And I want you to really look at that picture, because it's going to really summarize the, the end of my sermon borrowing from Barnabas, the kind of melding between the old and the new and the, the ancient with the modern. And borrowing from Barnabas is learning some life lessons from this guy, um, Barnabas. Now, I don't know about you, but I love the Word. I love the Bible. I love studying and reading the Bible. Um, and, and it's such a very interesting and unique book. Actually, it's not, one, it's not one book. It's actually a library of books, 66 books written by about 40 different people over three continents in a span of 1,500 years, roughly estimated. That's a phenomenal accomplishment, coming and writing this beautiful piece of literature and art about one of the most profound and probably contentious topics in the world, God. And so under the uh, inspiration of the Holy Spirit, these individuals come together and they write this beautiful piece. But if you've been in the Bible for quite a while and you've read it, you kind of get so familiarized with yourself with the story that you skip over so many parts. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know the story. Or you read certain things and be like, oh, that's not important. But sometimes when you kind of just pull up the handbrake a little bit, put the car in park, and you just kind of observe the land a little bit, there's certain things that kind of pop out at you. For instance, I don't know if you've ever realized the random stuff that Paul sometimes put in his letters. Like, for instance, in Romans 16, he puts this in. He says, greet, and these names I'm going to butcher, so please forgive me. Greet Adronicus and Junior, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Amplititus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, my fellow worker in Christ, my beloved Stachius. Greet Apelles, who is approved by Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus, I think. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryposa. Greet the beloved Persis, who worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who had been a mother to me as well. Greet Ansicretitis, Phlegmon. Man, aren't you glad you didn't have these names? Right, Hermes, Petrobas, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. When you read that, you're like, Paul, what are you doing? It's not like Paul had a, you know, a MacBook Air that he could just type all of these things and delete. Like, it, it, it was a considerable thing to write these things down. You know, paper wasn't very uh, uh, um, cheap, you know. So, but yet he decides in his letter to send all of these almost random things. 
greet this person and that person. And we generally jump over these things as if, okay, let's just read on because this has no bearing on me. But I think that there's a profound lesson in this. Paul is saying to us that the church is made up of everyday people that you don't even know. The church was moved, that, that ministered to him, and that grew by people that most of us don't even think about. When we think about the heroes in faith, when we think about the people that moved the church, we think of Paul and Peter and all of these people. But Paul says, no, 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 the church is actually not about the big guns that we generally associate with, but it's the everyday people, people like you and me, people like Barnabas. Do you know that Barnabas isn't his name? Barnabas is actually a little nickname, the son of encouragement. His name is actually Joseph or Joseph. But he was such an encourager, he's such, a, he's such a hype man. He used to, you know, give people this hype. He used to encourage people so much that they called him Barnabas, the son of encouragement. And so I want to go through just various things in the book of Acts and show you how Barnabas encouraged the church and lessons that we can learn from it. Firstly, we get the story that we first see Barnabas in is in the story of Acts chapter 4 where he encourages the church with his generosity. Acts chapter 4, verse 36 and 37. Thus Joseph, who was also called the apostle by the apostles Barnabas, which means the son of encouragement, a Levite and a native of Cyprus. This already tells us a lot about him. And he is from, the, from the, the tribe of Levi, but he's also from Cyprus, meaning that he is not from the in crowd. He is not a, a, a person that is well known necessarily. He moved there. He's an outsider that moved in. And so he's also generally a person that probably moved around a lot or is used to travel. So here comes this guy who, his name is Joseph, a good Jewish boy, a good Jewish name from a good Jewish family. But they say, the apostles say, no, no, we know this guy so well that his nickname is the son of what? Encouragement. The son of encouragement. Now this guy, he sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, I just want to backtrack a little bit here. Acts 2, Peter's preaching, and how many people are baptized? Thousands are baptized. Sometimes thousands are added. You can imagine, imagine if this church, 2,000, 3,000 people are baptized today, this Sabbath. Do you think that we will have need in our church? Right? And these 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 people that are added weekly, they go out and they share the gospel to everybody. How quickly do you think the church is growing? It's growing dramatically. Do you think that there's need in the church? 100%. And so this person comes. Now, now having a field means something. If, you, if you've been in this church for a while, you know that we generally speak about the meta-narrative of Scripture, the big story of Scripture. And the big story of Scripture is generally uh, rooted in this thing of the covenant. And when we think of our covenant, we generally think of the covenant of Abraham. Now, if you've been around David Ashwick, you will know that David Ashwick speaks about the covenant and the two things that is always prevalent in the covenant. The promise of what? Land and descendants. Land and descendants. This idea of land was something important to a Jewish person. It was so important that if you had to sell your land at the 50th Jubilee year, you would receive your land back. It isn't just a piece of property that you have acquired to boost your wealth. There was something very important to having property, to having land, because that's part of your covenantal promise that God has given to his people, and this boy is a part of God's people. But he sees the, the, the church grow. He sees the church in need, and he says, I'm willing to sacrifice for my people. 
He encourages the church through his wallet. Do you have a wallet? you have something where you put your possessions in? Do you have resources that you have available to you? Barnabas is like, our resources are not our own. He's willing to sacrifice and give and, and give and give. So he comes and he sells a field that belongs to him, and he brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, interestingly enough, if you read the story, he's not the only one that did that, but it doesn't mean that, he was, that everybody did this either. Some of them didn't do this, but some of them were compelled by the Holy Spirit to sell. Now, he didn't want anybody to do this, but Luke, the author of the book of Acts, he put two narratives together, the narrative of, uh, of Barnabas, who didn't want to be seen. He's not doing this to be seen. And another two individuals that is jealous of what Barnabas just did and said that we want the clout. We want to get status. We want to be seen in this new community. So they sell their property, and by de devising certain schemes, they do it to be seen. And the Holy Spirit puts these two stories together through the authorship of Luke, and he says these two stories that you can do the same thing for the wrong reason. Some people sell stuff and do stuff and sacrifice stuff in order to be seen, and other people, like Barnabas, does it because he wants to serve the community. He wants to encourage the community. And the way that he wants to encourage the community is firstly to encourage the poor by providing for them. To say, hey, you're part of this family. Hey, you're part of our community. Well, I want to encourage you that you're not alone. You have sacrificed so much to join us, so I want to encourage you through my resources, through my wallet, to give you something to know that you're part of this family. But he also encouraged the rich by example. To say, hey, this is, this is how we should give if we have. And so Paul, a Barnabas comes, and he encourage us, encourages us through his gratitude. Another way that he encouraged us, if you read the story on, is that he encouraged the church through his ministry. Now, the, the Barnabas, at, at first glance, doesn't seem like a big character in the book of Acts. If you know the structure of the book of Acts, 28 chapters, the first 12 chapters, the main guy is Peter. Then there's a transition that seemingly seems that the main guy then becomes Paul, Peter and Paul. But if you read very, very slowly through it, you start to realize that Barnabas had a massive impact in the whole story. We pick it up in here in Acts chapter 9. It says, And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. This is speaking about Paul. Now, Paul, if you're not aware, was a good Jewish boy. And he loved his God. And he said that there's this new group of people that is going against what we believe. And so he became such an ardent supporter to say that we need to squash this and so he went about persecuting the church. And on his way to Damascus, he, was, he, he met Jesus there. Right now, you can imagine that this guy was, was, was threatening the church, putting them in prison, some of them getting killed. Like it was, he, he was the main enemy of the church. He's converted. Do you think that people are just going to believe that he's been converted? No, 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 what kind of tactic is this? He's trying to infiltrate us. But Barnabas, under the, the, the Holy Spirit, realizes that there's something here, right? And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. It wasn't just the church that didn't believe him. Even the top echelons of the church leadership said, no, 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 we cannot trust this guy. But Barnabas, don't you just love that phrase, but Barnabas. But Barnabas took him, Paul, and brought him to the disciples and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord. 
So Barnabas takes a step into ministry, takes a step into courage and says, I will fight for this guy. I will use my words, not just my wallet. I won't just be giving, but I'm going to use my words. My, I'm going to say, I'm going to speak up for this guy. On the road, he had seen the Lord and he had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among the Jerusalem, preaching boldly the name of the Lord. So Paul is preaching. And now, now Barnabas takes the step and says, I will speak up words of encouragement. Somehow Paul starts his ministry because of Barnabas. How do you think Paul would have moved on if Barnabas didn't speak up for him? Do you think we would have had Paul that we have today if Barnabas didn't step in and use his words to encourage? Barnabas encouraged ministry. He encouraged Paul's ministry, but just not just his ministry. And you'll see that he had a very profound ministry, but not just his ministry, but other people's ministries. And this is one of the key aspects here. He's called the son of encouragement because he's always encouraging the work of God through his wallet, through his words, through his wisdom. He's constantly going and serving. He is not there for status. He is not there to, to get anything but for God's mission to go out. Another way that he encouraged, continuing the story through Acts, is that he encouraged brotherly love. We read on that there's, a, there's a, some a sort of famine that happens in Acts chapter 11. It says, now in these days, a prophet down from Jerusalem to Antioch came and um, one of the names, Agabus, stood up and foretold the spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. And this took place in the, in the days of Claudius. We read later in Acts chapter 12, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose name was Mark. So, so we, here we see that here he starts off this new fledgling church, and he's willing to sacrifice his own stuff, willing to give to people. And then he hears about this guy, probably from somebody that he knew, and said, hey, let me go investigate. And he realizes that this guy was truly converted, and he decides that I need to speak up for him. So he speaks up for him. But then he hears that there's a famine happening. And so once again, he's at the forefront of helping people that are struggling through a famine. He takes the food, and he takes some, uh, some provisions for them out of his brotherly love, and he encourages the church in his active ministry, not just in preaching, but actually getting his hands dirty, actually doing something for those that are needy. You can see Barnabas is an active player in the church. But we also see here that he encourages mission. He's not just about feeding people and speaking up for people, but he himself is at the forefront of mission. Now that we're in the church um, at Antioch, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called the Niger, meaning he is probably from Nigeria, is a black man. Lucius of Cyrene, so he's from another place, uh, not from where, probably not a, a, a Jew. Menean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. Now I want you to just see how, how Luke is writing this. Barnabas is, is put here first. He is the team leader. He is the main guy here. And then, the, then he describes all the other leaders. Here you have people from different places coming together. And he's not saying, hey, I'm going to rule. He, he says, let's rule together. right? And they are the leaders of the church. But later on, in Acts chapter 13, it says, Now after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts of Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas. If you continue reading the story, you'll see that Barnabas was the main guy. And then suddenly he makes space for Paul to be the main guy. There are certain points 
where Barnabas says, hey, I need to step up to ministry. And then there's other points where he says, I need to step back so that somebody else can step up. At this point, Paul had been in ministry not for a long time. If you know the chronology of Paul is that Paul was converted and then there was about a 14-year gap before Paul stepped in and started his missionary journey. Paul didn't just get converted in Damascus and the next day he was the GC president speaker. No, it took a while for him to, for him to develop, right? And so in that, in that space, uh, Barnabas is stepping up as the leader, leading Paul, bringing people again, with him, leading the church, doing mission work, but at one point, he steps back and says, this guy is a better speaker than what I am. He's a better communicator than I am. And so for the gospel to continue, it's not about me, it's not about him, it's about what's the best for the mission. And so, so Barnabas steps back. We also see that he encouraged unity. As the church is growing and developing, Barnabas and Paul, they're on their missionary journey and they're reaching out many people. Many of them are Gentiles. Many of them are not Jews that follow the same kind of thinking. And so now there's a, a disunity happening in the church. Should they be circumcised or shouldn't they be circumcised? This is the first general conference session. This is the first time that the church comes together to discuss various things. And we see Barnabas encouraging unity. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem and to the apostles and the elders about this question. And all the assembly fell silent and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. So here, once again, he's speaking up. He's using his words and he's speaking and advocating for the Gentiles. Advocating and saying, hey, why do we put these things on them? He's advocating, once again, for a minority group. Advocating for people that, that might not be the people that are in power. And then he encouraged reconciliation. After Acts 15, uh, when this church comes to this resolution of what they will do, there's, a, there's a, a dissension, on dissension, there's a, a, a little bit of an altercation between Paul and Barnabas. Because there was a man who, that we read earlier, a verse that we read earlier, his name was John Mark, who was a cousin of Barnabas, that was on ministry, but then he didn't pull through the, what he was supposed to pull through on. And so Barnab uh, Paul was like, no, 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 we don't need this guy. But Barnabas comes once again, and he speaks up. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with him John called Mark and Paul didn't want to and so they split up. But we read later on in Colossians where it says that Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, he says, Paul is speaking about, about Mark being with him, concerning who have you received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. If you read the story in context, it seems that there was some reconciliation that has happened here. Reconciliation between Barnabas, uh, between Paul and Mark. So we see that although Barnabas was not a main character in Scripture, he was super fundamental in the movement of the church. Now if you think about Barnabas, he is the one that, that encouraged imitating Christ with everything. He didn't write or say anything about it, but Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1, he says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. He had a mentor like Barnabas 
that led him to be more like Christ. Paul is the second most greatest contributor to the New Testament. 13 letters written by Paul, some of the greatest letters. Paul, outside of Jesus, is probably the greatest thinker in Christianity. Other than Jesus, we have not had a man that is such a brilliant thinker and orator as Paul. Outside of Paul, the greatest contributor to the New Testament is Luke, writing the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of Acts. Another individual that wrote, uh, had a tremendous influence on the New Testament is the Gospel of Mark. There is a hypothesis called the Q hypothesis that says that the, both Matthew and, and Luke used a source that we're not exactly sure of and another source called Mark. So if you're into New Testament studies, it means that, the, that Mark was the first gospel that was written. And then Matthew and Luke, when they write, were writing their Gospels, they drew from the Gospel of Mark. Now just reflect on this for a moment. There was a guy, Barnabas, which we know very little about. But this guy was the guy that spoke up for, for Paul. The greatest thinker in Christianity outside of Jesus. And wrote significant portions in the New Testament. Where would that man be without Barnabas encouraging him, leading him, mentoring him? Where would Luke be? Because Luke was a disciple of Paul, who was a disciple of Barnabas. And Luke and Matthew used Mark, another individual that Barnabas encouraged and mentored and spoke up for. Here is an ordinary man, which we don't know much about, who didn't write anything, that didn't leave us gospels, but he was a man that was willing to stand up and, and, and encourage people through his wallet, through his words, through his wisdom. He was willing to step up when, we, when the church needed him to step up. And he was willing to step away so that somebody else can step up when the church needed it. Here we have a man that's an everyday man, like all of us, that show us that the church is made up of everyday individuals, like all of us. Because all of us have wallets. And all of us can have words of encouragement to build the church. What is interesting to me is that if you look at this, Barnabas encouraged generosity and ministry and brotherly love and mission and unity and reconciliation and imitation. But can you think of another individual that did all of those things, that encourages all of those things? Is it not God? Did God not encourage generosity? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Ellen White says that the whole treasury of heaven was, was poured out in one gift. Who? Jesus. Was that not a generous thing? The story in Luke 15 about the prodigal father, right? We always say it's the prodigal son. What does prodigal mean? Wasteful. It's not the story of the prodigal son. It's about the prodigal father willing to waste so much on the child that he loves. So generous, so lavish is God's love towards us. Is it not God that calls us to ministry? First Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says that you are a chosen nation, a royal priesthood called to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. He calls you as a royal priest, proclaiming the excellencies. He calls you, each, each individual is called to ministry. Is it not the Holy Spirit that equips you with spiritual gifts? Is it not God that calls you to ministry and gives you the gifting for that ministry? Is it not God that calls us to have brotherly love? 
Is it not in John chapter 13 where Jesus says that you need to go and love this way because I have loved you this way? I have loved you first. I've shown you love first, so go and love the same way. Is it not Jesus that shows us how to go to mission? Did he not say in Matthew chapter 28 that all should go, the Great Commission, go therefore and make disciples? That, that call is not just for Robbie, our evangelism leader, or the pastoral team, or the Bible workers. That's for every believer to say, I am called to go. Is it not God that calls us to unity? John chapter 17, that's the Lord's Prayer. We always refer to Matthew chapter 6 as the Lord's Prayer. That's not the Lord's Prayer. That's the Lord's uh, uh, model prayer for the disciples. The disciples come to Jesus and say, Lord, teach us how to pray. But when Jesus prays, he prays in John chapter 17 and said, Lord, may there, be, may there be unity in this church. May they be one as we are one. Is Jesus not the one that calls us to reconciliation? Does he not say that my people are sons and daughters of peace? Is he not the king of peace? And does he not call us to imitate him? To say love the way that I have loved? You see, Barnabas is not that special because Barnabas didn't want to do anything that he was called to do to say, follow me. He's saying, no, no, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow Paul as he follows Christ. At the end of the day, we all just need to follow Christ. We just all need to follow him. The profound thing about this is that when you look at the story, borrowing from Barnabas, and I love the way that Megan has showed this, is that that picture is not Barnabas. That's a picture of Jesus. So when we're borrowing from Barnabas, we are not wanting to be more like Barnabas. We want to be more like Jesus because Barnabas wanted to be like Jesus. And so we, when we borrow these life lessons from, from him to be generous with our wallets and with our wisdom and with, with our words, when we want to encourage people, when we want to step up or st step away, somebody else can step up, we are just wanting to be more like Jesus. And that's the profound thing about him being the son of encouragement. Because the son of encouragement in the Greek is this. Uh, Barnabas is the son of paraklesis. Now, if you've been around this church for long enough, you'll know that that sounds like something that you've heard many, many times before. What does it sound like, the son of Paraclesis? Paracletos. Now, if you don't know what this means, in John chapter, uh, John chapter 14, Jesus prays and he says, I'm going to pray to the Father. Speaking to the disciples, he says, I'm going to pray to the Father so that he will send you another comforter. That word is used five times, only by John. And that is used in, in relation to, for once, to Jesus in the, book, in the letter of John, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, which says that Jesus is our advocate. And then the other four times it relates to the Holy Spirit being our paraclete. The word paraclete means somebody that is called to walk beside you. Somebody who walks beside you that will be your comforter, that will be your helper, that will be your sustainer, somebody that will advocate for you, somebody that will walk beside you. The disciples knew about this. They were in the room when Jesus said that. So they see this guy Barnabas and be like, that's the guy that we know because he is the embodiment of the Holy Spirit amongst us. He is the son of the paraclesis. Borrowing from Barnabas means that God wants all of us to be sons and daughters of the paraclesis, to be the enfleshment the, 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 the walking around of the Holy Spirit. That we should be like Jesus, walking around. People are like, man, this person encourages me. Now think about your life and your ministry. 
Are you a son and a daughter of a paraclesis? Are you a son and a daughter of encouragement or discouragement? Are you building up or are you breaking down? Where are you in this? What can you say? Can you say that, come and imitate me because I'm building up. I'm bringing together. I'm encouraging through my, through my, through my resources. I'm giving. I, I, I'm, I, I'm giving good words. I'm building people up. I, I, I am willing to step up when, it's, when I need to step up. And sometimes I'm willing to step away so that somebody else can up. Sometimes we're so good at stepping away, but we haven't stepped up yet. Barnabas said, I, there's, I can't step away until I've stepped up and I need to train some people, help some people, lead some people, get people into this. And then I'm willing to step back so that they can go and let them. That doesn't mean that he ceases to minister. When he stepped back from his ministry with Paul, he stepped up to his ministry with John Mark. We are always stepping up to ministry, but sometimes we have to step away from one ministry to step up into another ministry. What are you stepping up to? What are you encouraging? During this season, we are in our nominating committee season. We're going to sit in the next week to nominate new positions and to choose people, and we need to phone everybody. I'm going to ask you in this season, where are you? Are you going to get that phone call when you get called to something? Ah, oh, Pastor, sorry, I'm just so busy. Unfortunately, I can't. I can't step up. I can't encourage the church. I can't assist. I can't help. Ask yourself, where are you in your ministry? Where are you in relation to being called a son and a daughter of encouragement? Barnabas came and he says that I want to encourage the church through my wealth, my resources. You have resources. Might not be a lot, but you have. All of us have something. You might not have money, but you have time. You might not have a lot of time, but you have money. You might not have a lot of talents, but you have one talent, so use that one talent. No matter what you have, you have something that you can bring. We all have words, don't we? It doesn't take much to phone somebody and encourage them, saying, hey, thank you so much. We have people in this church that is a great encouragement to me to see how they serve. We have potluck today. So many people serve when we have potluck. Is Julie here? She's in the kitchen, just like I thought, busy serving. Let's encourage her today to say thank you. The last time we had potluck lunch, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, 4 o'clock, 4.30, Julie was still cleaning, vacuuming, packing chairs away, doing stuff. Encourage her. We have people like Chris. We have people like Mick. We have people like Simon. People that are never seen because they're behind the scenes. Because you never hear from them because they make you hear me and you see me. That's their ministry. They work hard every time. I cannot imagine how many times they've come in and helped at the last minute when I'm like, hey, we need something. Or how much time they've, they've spent setting up the camera, setting up the sound, making sure everything's all right. This morning there was an issue. What did they do? Not complain, but jump in and do their stuff. We have so many people willing to sacrifice we have a church willing of bringing more and more. Do we encourage them through our words to say, thank you so much. I appreciate what you're doing. And do we, we encourage by bearing the load with them to say, hey, I can see that you probably need some help. We need more cameramen. We need more people to assist in the kitchen. We need more people to help out with various things. 
Are you willing, when you are called upon, to step up to the plate? And are you willing sometimes to mentor other people to say, I'm mentoring this person, I'm leading this person, I'm, I'm building up this person so that I can step away because I can see gifting in this individual. I can see that they're not there yet, but when they get there, man, they're just gonna be on fire. They're gonna be a gun for the gospel and I'm a, I must make sure that they are ready and I'm willing to step back so that they can go. You read the book of Acts, the two main pillars that come out there is the ministry of Peter and the ministry of Paul. You read the New Testament and you read the books of Mark, you read the books of Luke, you read the, read the book of, uh, of Paul, and you're like, wow, these guys, look at them, what did they do? But behind all of the good men and the good women were people like Barnabas that encouraged them. So when we look at this, borrowing from Barnabas, I'm not asking you to be a Barnabas. I'm asking you to be like Jesus. To be a person that loves his church so much you're willing to sacrifice. I'm not going to ask you what you need to sacrifice. That's between you and Jesus. That's between you and God. But I want you to be somebody that's like Jesus that says, God, I'm willing to sacrifice whatever you call me to sacrifice for your church. That's what I'm going to do. Sacrifice for you because you have sacrificed so much for me. I don't do it to be seen. I don't do it to be loved. I don't do it. I do it, Lord, in response to the grace that you have given me. Thank you, Jesus, for the privilege to be in this position. I just want to serve you and I just want to serve your people. Love God and love others. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, it is such a deep privilege for us to be of service to you, to be a part of a movement, Lord, that that rust and moth and all of these things cannot destroy. A kingdom that will live forever and ever. America won't survive forever. Russia, China, all of these, they won't survive. Kingdoms come and kingdoms go, but one kingdom remains and one kingdom will stay forever and ever for eternity, and that is your kingdom. And so I pray, Lord, that we would be invested in your kingdom, that we would be your children that's about our Father's business. And we say thank you, Lord, that you saw us worthy to be a part of this. Lord, you have gifted us all with, with resources. Lord, you have gifted us all with talents and time and treasure. Lord, you have gifted us with abilities. And I pray, Lord, that you would use that, that you'd amplify that, that you'd increase that, Lord, so that we can build your church and edify your church. We know that this church is not built on a person or people, but it is built on you, the solid rock. And so we come, Lord, and say, may we imitate you the way that Paul did, the way that Barnabas did. May we follow in their footsteps, eventually just following you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.